Welcome to the Chi Alpha UNC podcast. We're excited that you've decided to stop by. It is a new semester and we have started a new series on the book of Ephesians. Today, Duncan concludes our series by looking at Ephesians chapter 6. In order to survive spiritual warfare, I must wear the armor of God. This message was recorded on February 16th, 2023 at the Columbine Suites at the UC. Please join us every Thursday at 7 p.m. at the UNC campus. All are welcome. Come as you are. Leave as a new creation. Hi guys. Thank you. How are you guys? Are you guys excited to be here? Yeah. That didn't really sound excited. Yeah. Are you guys excited to yeah. be here? Yeah. yeah. Okay, well, before we start announcements, um, I want you guys to take the next two minutes and just talk to your neighbor about how you, how you know what you believe in is true. So take the next two minutes and just talk to your neighbor. Ready to go. How you know what you believe in is true. So, Liv, how do you know what you believe in is true? I read my Bible. How do you know the Bible is true? I see it all around me. It's good work. It's good work. Good work, Zach. Huh? Oh, we just give it a minute. I'm hearing it. I'm hearing it. All right. How are we feeling now? Yeah. All right. Hey. All right, guys. Well, we're going to start with your announcements. What do we got first? Prayer. Yeah. Yeah, let's go. That's me, if you don't know. Hey, so hey, so we have prayer every week. Uh, it's at Tuesday, yeah. on Tuesday, at 11 a.m. At Tuesday, at it's Tuesday. on Tuesday, 11 a.m. Uh, if you go through these doors right here in the CC, it's room 2200 every week. Uh, you can meet us for prayer, and it's a really good time. And it's time to just dedicate ourselves to prayer and, and to uh, get to know one another. So, yeah. yeah, show up if you have time. It'll be good. All right, our What's next announcement is... What we got? Contact table. Yay! Woo! Guys, this is a great opportunity for, especially if you're a small group leader, to just meet new people and invite them to your small group. Yeah, wh whoever's a small group leader, stand up real quick. Yeah, let's go. Come on. Where are they at? Where are they at? Yeah. Way to go, if Johnny. If you're not in a small group, I highly recommend joining one of these lovely people's small groups. Um, but, yes, contact table. We have one every single Wednesday from 930 to 1230 at the UC Bookstore. And then on Thursdays, we have one from 10 to 1 in the student commons at Ames. Yay! So you guys should totally come down and say hi to us. Sweet. We have T-shirts. Yeah, we have T-shirts, guys. Yeah, both T-shirts are $10. They've what? Huh? What? Both of them are hot. I don't know which one. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, hey, yeah. Hey, so both t-shirts are $10. They fit really yeah. well. They wash really well. We talk about them every week. Buy a t-shirt. Yeah. We'd love for you guys to try them. 
Yep. All right, let's move on. <laughs> I'm embarrassed. <laughs> what do we got? Okay, what? who here is going on a mission trip in spring? Yeah! Yeah! Okay, so if you guys don't know, we have mission trips coming up. So, again, if you're going on one of these three mission trips, please stand up because we want to know who please you are. Please stand up. Please Woo! stand up. Okay, wow, now wow. keep standing. Get up. Keep standing. Keep standing. <laughs> So for you like aren't standing, look around, and you can see all these lovely people are going on a mission trip. Um, they are still fundraising. So if you guys have in your heart and you guys want to go talk to one of these people, I highly recommend just funding their, like, giving to their trip and helping them get to their location so they can spread um, the gospel to all these people here. So after Chi Alpha, if you guys find one of these people and help them fundraise. Yeah, let's go. Come on. What else? Hey, offering! Let's go! Yeah, come on. Let's go. So good, so good. Hey, so uh, all the events we hold are based on offerings, guys. So if you guys want to just give back, if you guys feel like this is where you spiritually grow, if this yeah. is, yeah, if this is where you feel uh, discipleship is happening in your life and you want to give back, this is a way to do it. Uh, all the funds, don't they go to the events we hold, they go straight back to you guys. They don't go to staff to pay staff. Uh, we do our own funding for that. So, yeah, feel free to give back to us, and we would love to give to you guys more. Uh, have, have fun events, and, yeah, it'll be cool. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and pray over this offering, and, yeah, cool. So, Heavenly Father, we just pray for giving hearts, God. We are so thankful that you have given us a campus ministry to uh, live with, God, that you have given us a campus ministry to uh, proclaim your gospel with, God, and, and we thank you so much for all the events you have um, allowed us to have, God, for, for giving hearts, and for those who are willing to serve in those events, God, and we just pray that you continue to bless us, God, bless us financially, uh, bless us with hearts of giving, God, and um, allow us to just glorify you in all the things we do, God, I pray this in your son's name, amen. 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 All right, All right last announcement, After Dark! Yeah! <laughs> So today, after Chi Alpha, we're going to have After Dark at Zoe's. Um, I heard people get tacos at a taco truck or something. So you guys should grab all the food you want and go to Zoe's. We play board games yeah. and board games. werewolf. And food. We get food? No. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. You should go and find out. But yeah, all right. Cool. The last all right. announcement. And so finally, I'm going to introduce our speaker for the night. Guys, if you are new, this is who you want to talk to to hear the vision of Chi Alpha. Yeah. He has a heart for it. He's living it out daily. And, guys, I mean, if you want to be encouraged, this is the guy you go to. Yeah. So I'm proud to introduce our director, Duncan Chance. Woo! Let's go. Standing. Come on. Oh, oh man. Dang. Oh, dang. Well. Man, yeah, yeah, I'm all tangled up here, all right, yeah, okay, I'm going to do this, hey, how you guys doing, man, Kai Alpha, George, is this yours, can I, can I just give that to you, all right, I need a music stand, we used to call this a crutch, this thing right here, when I, both when I was on a worship team and when, um, oh, yeah, and when you're preaching, it's like, man, why do I need this stand? I can just preach. Come on, you know. Uh, man, here we are. The last week of our Ephesians series. Yeah. 
Now, did you know that uh, we only have like nine class weeks left what? of this semester? <laughs> I counted. If you don't count spring break, there's like nine weeks left. That's crazy. And in these nine weeks, we got to go on mission trips. We got to train new small group leaders. We got to go on men's retreat in April, right? And, uh, man, it's going to be an awesome rest of the semester. It's going to be awesome. So um, uh, Ephesians 6 is what we're going to look at tonight. Um, and like we said when we got back from Christmas break, like the week after Christmas break is when we start Ephesians. And we start out by saying this, that in the springtime, uh, we like to have some meatier topics, right? We like to put down the bottle and pick up the uh, fork, right? And uh, yeah. and start feeding on some meat, right? So whether it's a ribeye steak or a uh, New York strip or a block of tofu, live, right? <laughs> Gluten-free tofu. Mm. Mm. Baby carrots. <laughs> Baby carrots. All right. Uh, hey, before we get into the message, I just wanted to uh, share some pictures with you. I went uh, a couple weekends ago. I went to Costa Rica, and. For those of you that have been on that trip before, you know a lot of these faces here. Uh, yeah, um, I missed Kyle for that week because I was on a layover in Florida and heading to uh, Costa Rica, but um, uh, I spent the weekend there. The reason I was in Costa Rica is because I was invited to come teach their leadership retreat, which was a big deal, and I was super honored to do that. I taught on uh, Devo Life, Brotherhood, Responsibility. You guys know this stuff, right? And um, there was about 20-something leaders there, 24, 25 leaders, and they're on all these campuses across Costa Rica, and they had staff members there, and it was just an aw- I was quite honored. Now, um, yo hablo un poquito de español, pero, <laughs> let's go, <laughs> pero yo necesito conversaciones faciles, okay? <laughs> I... <laughs> I can't teach in Spanish, but I can have these, like, side conversations in Spanish. So when I was teaching, I would have, like, a translator with me, right? And I asked Adam. Adam is there, the older-looking guy with the beard. He's a good friend of mine. Um, he, I asked him, I was like, bro, like, there's so many people in Chi Alpha Nation that are bilingual. Like, why did you, why did you invite me? I'm, I'm okay in Spanish, but, like, why didn't you get someone who could just rattle off for hours in Spanish? And he, he said, you know why? He said, because we host a lot of Chi Alpha teams, but we believe that you guys at UNC have something that we want. And it's your love for one another. It's your brotherhood and your sisterhood and your fellowship that we want in our ministry here. Isn't that an honor? That's a testament to you guys, right? That's a testament to what the Lord is doing through you. That's amazing, isn't it? So it was quite an honor to be there. And they say hello and they say, please come to Costa Rica. So, yeah, and uh, man, if you guys remember, we took out that big missions offering for them uh, last fall, and man, they're just, they're, they're killing it down there. It's pretty awesome. Um, okay, so before we get into the last chapter of Ephesians tonight, I've got a little uh, review video. So let's review chapters one through five really briefly so you guys can play that video. My prayer is that your eyes will be opened to who this Jesus is. Jesus is risen from the dead. He is seated at the right hand of the Father in heavenly places. He is seated far above all principality and power. He is seated above all might and all dominion. He is seated above every name that can ever be named, not just now, but forevermore. 
this is my Jesus. And my prayer for you is that your eyes will be opened to who he is. He is the lion and the lamb. He is the alpha and the omega. He is the first. He is the last. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He rules over nations. He judges the living and the dead. He was once dead, but now he's alive. And because of his blood, you can be alive again. Verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. But God, the prodigal son story didn't end in the pig trough. And praise God, my story didn't end with the overdose. I was lost, but God. I was blind, but God. I was relationally separated from my heavenly father, but God. I was destined for hell, but God. I was battling suicidal thoughts, but God. I was wrestling with depression, but God. I was lonely and scared, but God. Do you see how great this phrase is? In the church, there cannot be any hint of racism or prejudice in us, right? Jews, Jews and Gentiles struggled with this for a long time, and we have too, right? Especially in the U.S., we have struggled with this. We in the church cannot have this. Like, that's what Jesus, part of the reason Jesus came was to unite people from all areas, from all ethnicities, from all cultures, from all languages, Right? There's this beautiful scene in Revelation 21 where people from all languages, from all tongues, from all nations, from all cultures, from all races are all worshiping God together. We are all one in Christ, every single one of us. The resurrection will be filled to the brim with people of different cultures and ethnic groups, and God loves them all. This is the church that Jesus was building from the beginning. Once again, he is our conquering king. And I love how Paul puts this in Colossians 2. So Colossians and Ephesians were written at the same time. Okay, Colossians 2.15. I'm getting on a sidetrack. All right, this is what Paul says. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. A public spectacle. He shamed them. He marched them through the street like a conquering king, showing off who he had destroyed. He had conquered without even trying. And by something as seemingly foolish as a cross. Right? He conquered death. He conquered hell. He conquered the devil. He conquered sin. And he has led captivity captive. All that it could have kept us captive away from him, he took it. And he marched it through the streets while we could all laugh at it. And through his abundance and victory, he has given us gifts. Because we are his people. This as the kings of old would do when they would win a great... What did you give up for following Jesus? What was the cost that you had to give up for following Jesus? And she looked at them and said she had a moment of clarity and just with a straight face said, nothing. I gave up nothing. I traded filthy rags for 
beautiful garments. I traded worthless trinkets for bars of gold. You see, when I think about my own life with Jesus, what did I give up to really start following Jesus? I gave up some, some lame party on a Friday night. <laughs> give up some, just fr- some friendships that they never cared about you in the first place. You give up and you find something so much more precious and so much more valuable than you could ever imagine. Isn't that awesome? Man, Ephesians has been good, right? You heard this, our eyes need to be open to who Jesus really is. Jesus has saved us from hell, even though we deserve hell but God, right? We Gentiles have been grafted in, and because of this, we are united with our Christian brothers and sisters from around the world. Jesus has defeated death, and he's marched death through the streets like a conquering king. And compared to knowing Jesus... There is nothing that we could give up that isn't worth it. Isn't that awesome? So tonight we're going to end with chapter 6. Now, last week Caleb ended his message by looking at chapter 6 a little bit, and that was good, it was like a little spoiler. But I want to I look at these first few verses in chapter 6, because chapter 6 deals with something that I believe a lot of us have dealt with over the years, and that is the topic of spiritual warfare. It's going to be a heavy night. But are we in this together? Yeah? You guys with me? We're going to talk about spiritual warfare. He ends his letter to the Ephesians, or we don't know if it was exactly to the Ephesians, but to the churches in this area, he ends his letter by talking about spiritual warfare. And no doubt that these young churches in this area would have been dealing with this. Because when a new work of God is planted... When a new work of God is started, the devil wants to squash it. He wants to squash it. And when you start to see victory in your life, the devil wants to squash you. And so you're going to experience spiritual warfare. However, Paul makes the case that under persecution, we thrive as the church. Okay? So spiritual warfare is real. We believe in a real devil. We believe in real demons. And spirits of this world. And if you are a Christian and you love Jesus, you automatically have a target on your back. You guys hear me? You guys have a target on your back. But we have no fear. We have no fear of this at all. Let me say it again. We have no fear in the kingdom of God. Because we believe Jesus is our conquering king. Right? He's already won the war. We don't work for victory. We work from victory. Right? And our job as the church is to tell people about it. That's what we're called to do. So let's start reading in chapter 6, verse 1. You can put this up there. This is how Paul begins to end his letter. He says this. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Verse 5, bond servants, be obedient to those who you are masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, 
do the will of God from the heart, with good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. And you masters do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. So Paul begins to conclude his letter by talking about the home, the household, the family and the home. He addresses children and how children should uh, treat their parents He addresses fathers, and when he says fathers, he's talking about both parents. He also addresses something called bond servants, which were part of the family, and we'll get into that in a second. Your translation might have said slave, um, and we're going to talk about that, okay? Um, But let's reflect on what we just read. How do we overcome spiritual warfare? So the first step in surviving spiritual warfare is this. You can put this up there. There must be peace in my household. That's the first step. If you are experiencing spiritual warfare, make this your first step. Do I have peace in my household? Godliness in my household. My household must be a sanctuary for the Holy Spirit. It must be a place where God dwells. You guys with me? Your house must be a sanctuary to the Holy Spirit. So let's go through these real quick about the household. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Children, obey your parents. Now, verse 2 says, Honor your father and mother, which is the first command, with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. So I believe this is something that we need to return to in our society. Children, obey your parents and honor your father and your mother. Obedience and honor. Everybody say obedience. And everybody say honor. honor. We need to return to these things. Yeah. Now, we in Chi Alpha in this room, we're in a unique spot because most of us have just left our homes and we are quote unquote adults, <laughs> right? <laughs> we are 18. <laughs> uh, mom, dad, thanks for everything, but I'm an adult now. I can do whatever I want, right? This is, uh, this is sometimes the attitude we have when we get to college, um, And I want you to know something, that 18 is not that old. You don't know a whole lot at 18. (laughs) I didn't know a whole lot at 18. And so I still need the wisdom of my parents in my life. When I think back to when I was 18, I was pretty silly. I was pretty ridiculous. Now, I thought I knew stuff, especially when I first gave my heart to Jesus. I really thought I knew stuff, (laughs) right? Now, there's some good zeal there. I, I love it when, uh, you know, somebody's a new convert, they become a Christian, and they just want to save the world. I wish that fire would never go out. I really do. But I sure didn't know a lot when I was 18. Now, I'm not saying this to be insulting to anyone here who's around that age. And, in fact, this should bring you some hope, right, that there's more to the Lord than you know, right? It, it, uh, we, we like to say this, that God is infinite, and if you ever stop learning stuff about him, it's your fault, <laughs> There's always more to learn about the Lord Jesus. Um, So Paul is addressing children. He says that children should obey their parents. Now, let me just say that this is in the context of Christian parents. Because, remember, he wrote the letter to the church. So he's assuming he's addressing Christian parents and Christian children. Right? The assumption is that these parents love Jesus. 
So as a child, you are called to obey your godly parents. Now, the key word being there, children. It is my conviction, now pay attention, that as long as you are under your parents' household, as long as you are dependent on them, and as long as they love Jesus, I believe you should do what they say, assuming they love Jesus. Because if they love Jesus and they know him, and they have his kingdom in mind, and they love you, they're going to have your best intentions at heart. So children, obey your parents. Now, I have three daughters, as most of you know, and while they are not perfect by any means, my household is filled with godly peace when they are doing what I'm telling them to do, okay? Which is not all the time, (laughs) right? Uh, it kind of, you know, I love my children, but man, it really speaks to like our sinful nature when you watch a child grow up, right? Like you don't have to teach a child how to lie. <laughs> they just kind of know how to lie, right? Um, but godly parents will raise them in the ways of the Lord, and they're going to discipline their children in godly ways, and so that these children will be raised with kingdom principles, okay? Um, so if you have godly parents, and they love you, and they love Jesus, then you should do what they say if you live under their household. If you're dependent on them, if you're still kind of their child, do what they say. Because they also want peace in their household. Um, Do what they say if you are not a quote-unquote adult yet, okay? Now, Paul goes on to say, honor your father and mother. And this, he is no doubt quoting from the fifth commandment that was given to Moses so many years earlier. You can put this up there. Exodus 20, verse 12, says, Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. So honoring your father and your mother is something that we never stop doing regardless of how old we get. This is something for everyone in this room. We honor our father and our mother. So what does it mean? What does it look like for us to honor our parents? Or with that being said, maybe you you don't know your parents or your caretakers or your guardians. How do you honor those in your household who are in authority? So I have a picture of my parents. You can put that up there. Those are my parents. Aren't they awesome? They're great. I think a lot of you have met them. They're getting old. (laughs) They live in Houston. They miss their grandkids. Uh, they're, They're incredible parents. My parents did an amazing job raising me as as a son. They, every chance they got, they were talking about the Lord. They were, they were investing kingdom principles into me. They were taking us, us kids to church. I'll never forget, like, I did not love the Lord. And my dad, at every moment he got, was just kind of awkwardly like, hey, you know, so Jesus. And, uh, you know, and he'd be like, we should have a family devotional, right? And all of us kids are like, ah, you know. <laughs> but my, my parents were, 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 were raising us in godly ways, uh, they're amazing parents, and they've been amazing grandparents to my children, and I love that my children get to experience what I experienced when I was a kid. So it is easy for me to honor my parents. Now, maybe some of you here did not have that experience growing up. Maybe you had a very negative experience with your parents. In fact, I know that there are stories in this room. I know those stories personally of some of you in here who did not have a good experience with your parents. However, we are still commanded to honor them. Do you know that? We're still commanded to honor them. Honoring someone has nothing to do with how good or bad they are. Can I say that again? Honoring someone has nothing to do with how good or bad of a person they are. 
This is because we believe in something called intrinsic value. Intrinsic value. So raise your hand. You've heard this term before, right? You kind of know what it is. Intrinsic value. It is simply this, for those that don't know what I mean. Intrinsic value is a value that is assigned by God that cannot be added to or taken away from. Let me say it again. A value is a value, or intrinsic value is value that is assigned by God that cannot be added to or taken away from. Every single person on the face of this earth that has ever lived and it ever, ever is going to live has this intrinsic value. They have a value that cannot be added to or taken away from. And the reason that is, is not found in how good or bad they are. It is found in the fact that they are made in the image of God. You guys with me? We humans are the only things on this, in this universe that that can be said about. That we are made in the image of God, and this is what gives us our value. We, we can't say this about the animals, the trees, the rocks, the tacos, or whatever. We humans... <laughs> Men and women, boys and girls are made in the image of God. The Bible declares it. Genesis 1, put this up here, Genesis 1, 26 through 27, says, Then God said, Let us make man in our own image after our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And then it says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So the entire Bible begins with God creating humans in his image. This cannot be said about the angels, right? This is not said about heavenly creatures. This is only said about us. Isn't that crazy? And this is where our value comes from. And guys, what this teaches us is that no matter what condition a man or a woman is in, they have value. They are worth fighting for. They are royalty, and they don't even know it. doesn't matter how rich they are, how poor they are, what race they are, what they believe about God and religion. They still have intrinsic value. You guys with me? You guys with me, right? So let me, when the Bible says, honor your father and mother, this shouldn't be a hard thing to do. We honor our parents, even if they weren't good parents, because even our parents are made in the image of God, and they are worth fighting for. And so we honor them. Now, this may be hard for some of you. Some of you are thinking, man, I don't want to. <laughs> Duncan, you don't know how my parents were. They still are created in the image of God. And there is a difference between obedience and honor. There's a difference there. Honor does not always mean obedience. Did you, did you catch that? Honor does not always mean obedience. And I see this played out a lot, especially in Chi Alpha. You'll get some kind of call to ministry, or you want to go on a mission trip, right? And your parents are like, I, I, don't, I don't know. Like, this is not the life I had planned for you, <laughs> right? You ever hear that? I, I, I'd rather you just get a real job, <laughs> right? And obedience in, that, obedience in that situation wouldn't be the godly thing to do. So there's a difference between honoring and obeying. In fact, let me just say this. Sometimes you can honor your parents by disobeying them. Oh, oh. Sometimes you can honor your parents by... Let, 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 me, let me just explain this for a second. Now, now bear with me. 
tomorrow you get a call from the King of England. King of England calls you and says, Maddie, I want you to, to uh, come to England and I want you to serve in my royal court. And, and so Maddie goes to her parents and says, hey, Mom, Dad, the King of England just called me into his service. And you know what Maddie's parents, they were like, oh, wow, that's, wow, that's amazing. What, you, the, you're honoring our family? Wow, that's, you're representing us in the high courts of England, right? Right? Now, for some reason, when the king of kings calls us into service, we get embarrassed by it. We get, we get afraid about how it's going to be funded. Right? We get, we, we get afraid about what our parents are going to think. Man, let me tell you, there is no better way to honor your father and mother than by serving the king of kings. There is no better way to honor them. It will bring honor to your last name. It will bring honor to their household if you get called into service by the king. Are you with me? I'll just be real for a second. When I first went into ministry, my parents loved Jesus. They loved Jesus, but they weren't about it. <laughs> they were not about it. And let me tell you, it wasn't until my parents saw what I was doing that they broke down in tears. And my dad will say, Duncan, you honor our family by what you do. So never be ashamed that you got called into ministry. Never be ashamed that, that the Lord may be telling you to go on a mission trip or serve in children's ministry, or whatever it may be, that is a wonderful way to honor your father and your mother, okay? I got way ahead of myself, but we're going to preach tonight. Come on. Okay, honor your father and your mother. Now, your parents are not off the hook here, <laughs> because Paul instructs them too. So parents have responsibility as well. Verse 4, put it up there. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. So Paul is no doubt referencing Proverbs 22.6. You can put this up there. Train a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. So undoubtedly, this is nothing new in the church. Both the Old and the New Testament constantly talk about a child's relationship with their parents and how a parent should treat their children. Now, I know most of us in here are not parents yet. They're, right? Yeah. Maybe, maybe you are. You don't know it. I don't know. <laughs> oh, most of us. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Most of us in here, I assume, are not parents yet. All right. But you must know that the Bible is not silent about how you should treat your children once you have children, all right? In order to have peace in my household, I must parent my children as God the Father has parented me. Can I say that again? In order to have peace in my household, I must parent my children as God the Father has parented me. And how has he parented me? He loved me. He gave himself for me. He's working on my behalf. He is patient with me. He is kind to me, right? He's gentle with me. He disciplines me in a loving way, and he is always with me. He wants nothing more than to just spend time with me. That's a good parent, right? 
Now, I know that there are people in here that, that you did not have that experience with your earthly parents. I get that. But I'm here to tell you that your heavenly father is here to parent you in this way. So even if you missed out on that, you can start now by letting God the Father parent you in this way. And there's nothing better. And if you need healing from this, there'll be time after tonight, okay, that we're going to seek this together. But let me repeat, if you did not have this experience with your earthly parents, let God the Father parent you now. So before we move on, let's talk briefly about bond servants. We have to do that. Right, bond, it says this, verse 5, bond servants be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with goodwill doing service as, as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. And you masters do the same thing to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. Now, I don't want to spend too much time on this because I assume most of us in here do not own bond servants. Okay? I don't think so. <laughs> Maybe you are a bond servant. I don't know. But your translation, when you were reading translation, your translation may have said slave. So I want to address this really quick. And when, I he when you hear this word slave, your mind automatically goes to the atrocities that were committed by the United States in its early years. Your mind automatically goes there, right? Mine did the first time I read this, like slavery, right? <laughs> and Paul is referring to something called a bondservant or somebody who is trying to pay off a debt, so a bond servant is this. Let's say that I borrowed $50,000 from Johnny, right? Now, I cannot pay that back. There's no way I can pay that $50,000 back. So instead, Johnny's a landowner, and I go work his land. In fact, I take my entire family, and Johnny moves me and my family into his household, and we become part of his family as I work off my debt. That's what a bond servant is. It wasn't that Johnny took me and, and my family captive against my will, like the atrocities that were committed in this country. That's not what Paul is talking about. Right. He's talking about a bond servant. Yep. So this is what would happen is that the masters or the, the guys that, that the debt was owed to, they would treat their bond servants poorly. They would treat them like slaves. And Paul is saying here, no, 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 no. They are part of your family. You must love them. And, and, he's, and he's addressing the bond servants here, and he's saying, he's saying, work for your master as unto the Lord, mm -hmm. right? This is how you have peace in your household. And let me just go on a, a tangent here for a second. I'm so sick of this played-out argument from skeptics that say, oh, see, the Bible condones slavery. When you hear somebody say that, it means they don't know their scripture. They haven't studied their scripture because they have no idea what they're talking about here. So when you hear this argument, just say, peace be with you. <laughs> There's no reason in engaging in that argument because it is so uneducated. This is not, a, uh, this isn't, Paul isn't condoning slavery here. He's saying that if you've got a servant in your household that owes you a debt, can you at least treat them like a family member? Okay, I was a little rant. It's not even in my notes, but I just had to say that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, so this amounts to this. Peace in our household. Peace between parents and children. 
Peace between employers and workers. Peace in our household. You guys with me? Okay. So in order to have victory in spiritual warfare, we must have peace in our households. Many times I've seen this firsthand. We struggle with unforgiveness and we struggle with bitterness toward our, our parents and our, our siblings. Maybe you're having this ongoing feud with your siblings and you start to experience like, like emotional trauma in your life. I want to challenge you by trying, trying to have peace in your household by loving your parents, by serving your brothers and your sisters. I'm going to challenge you to do that because if you do that, you're going to have peace in your life. You're going to have peace. Um, years ago, uh, I was in Costa Rica, and I met this student named David. And David was not a Christian, and, and we got to know him. In fact, I, I went back several years, and I kept seeing him on campus. David, como estas? You know, and he was a great guy. He was a good cook, and he would cook us food. And he was not a believer, and he, uh, he was talking about all this trauma he'd been having in his life, these emotional issues and things. And, and the Lord gave us a word in that moment. It was the craziest thing. And I looked at David, and I said, David, I think the Lord is telling you you need to forgive your father. Now, he had never talked about his father before, and he just starts crying. He's like, how could you possibly know that? I said, the Lord, the Lord is good. The Lord knows you. He knows you better than I know you, but he's telling you right now you need to forgive your father. And you know what he did? And he started experiencing the presence of the Lord for the first time. Some of you may need to forgive your parents. And as you walk away from our service tonight, I want you to try to do it. I want you to try to do it. Okay, y'all still with me, right? Okay, Ephesians 6. Let's keep going. Verse 10. Finally, my brothers, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts and wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. So Paul is coming to a conclusion. He's almost done with his letter. And he starts to remind us, we Christians, Christians, right? You guys Christians? Maybe. You guys are in a war. You're in battle. As a Christian, you are in a war. Do you know that? You are in a war, whether you know it or not. You are in a battle every single day. And Paul is reminding us that as a Christian, you will face this war on this side of eternity over and over and over again. But then he reminds us of something very profound. He says, we do not battle against flesh and blood. Nope. What, you know what that means? We don't battle against humans. <laughs> humans, in fact, but this other, yeah, as a Christian, you have no human enemy. You have no human enemy. Now, they may consider you their enemy, but as a normal Christian, we don't consider them our enemy because our enemy is spiritual. Our enemy is the devil. Not people. Okay? Some of you guys are starting to, oh gosh, oh gosh, yeah. Because you have some people in your life, maybe you consider your enemy. But they're not your enemy. They're not your enemy. Now Paul is reminding us that this life is not going to be easy. You will face trials. You will have tough times. Raise your hand if you ever had a tough time in your Christian walk. Yeah. I mean, that's like most of us, right? 
You've had some of these trials. You've experienced this before. But did you know? Did you know that God has not left us defenseless in battle? He has not left us defenseless. We believe in the devil. We believe that there are demons. And because you are a Christian, the devil wants to squash you. However, God has given us something to fight back. In order to have victory in spiritual warfare, you must put on God's armor. You must do it. Did you know that God has given us armor? He's given us armor. You know, it's just not some random armor, but it is his own armor that he puts on us. Isn't that cool? Isaiah 59, put this up there, talks about God's armor. Verse 14, justice is turned back and righteousness stands far away for truth has stumbled in the public squares and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking, sounds like today. And he, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. The Lord saw it and has displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head he put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak according to their deeds so he will repay wrath to his adversities repayment to his enemies to the coastlands he will render repayment so they shall fear the name of the lord from the west his glory from the rising of the sun for he will come like a rushing stream which the wind of the lord drives so god has armor And now, in Ephesians 6, Paul tells us that God has given us his armor to protect us in battle. That's good news, right? If I'm going to wear something to protect me, I'd like to wear my father's armor. Right? (laughs) I want to wear his armor. Verse 14, Ephesians 6, verse 14. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to the end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I might open my mouth, boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am, am, am an ambassador in chains that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak guys this is powerful by the way this is how we have victory in spiritual war can you imagine this early church I mean it's not even a couple years old and they're experiencing real oppression the Roman government is trying to squash them and they're like what do we do and Paul says you've got armor You've got armor. Use it. So in order to have victory in spiritual warfare, I must wear the armor of God. I must wear the armor of God. So number one, let's go through these. We gird our waists with truth. Another way of saying this is we put on the belt of truth. The belt of truth. As Christians, we believe in something called absolute truth. We believe that there is only one truth, and that is Jesus. Jesus stands up at the temple and says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And this is what we believe, that all truth is God's truth. All truth is God's truth. We don't believe in relative truth. 
We don't believe in this concept that what is true for you may not be true for me. We reject that phrase that says, live your own truth. That, you know what's funny when they say that? They say that as if it's true. So stupid. <laughs> there is one truth, and that is that Jesus is Lord and Savior, and there is no other way to the Father but by Him. So we wrap ourselves like a belt around our waist with this truth. Without this, we have nothing else. Without this, we c- when we reject God's truth, we step away from His protection. When we reject God's truth, we step outside of His protection. Instead of just embracing truth, let truth embrace us. Okay, come on. Yeah, come on. (laughs) Start by proclaiming the truth of God in your life, that he is your Lord and your Savior, that you have been saved by him and you are his child. Let's keep moving. Go to the next one. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. By the way, this is God's righteousness, not ours. It protects your heart. When you put on a a breastplate and battle, it protects your vital organs. It protects your heart. So when you are brokenhearted, we know that God is close to you because God is near to the brokenhearted. Let his righteousness and what he has done on the cross protect your heart. Know that you cannot earn your way into heaven. You cannot earn your way into God's favor. Your righteousness is like filthy rags. So protect your heart with his righteousness. You guys with me? Next next verse, 15. And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace is like a pair of amazing shoes that we put on. By the way, shoes are important. Athletes in here, you know that, right? If you wear bad shoes, you're going to ruin your feet. (laughs) I was playing basketball one time barefooted, and I, I, I fractured a bone in my foot, and I, I, I couldn't walk for, like, months. It was awful. And actually, it was miraculously healed. It was pretty cool. People were praying over it. It got healed. But shoes are so important, and there is no better thing to invest in than a good pair of shoes. They say you're supposed to spend money on two things, your shoes and your mattress, <laughs> right? Because you spend so much of your life in those things. So why would you skip out on that? Like, no, I spent it all on this, uh, this uh, purse, right? This Michael Kors purse, right? <laughs> Why would you spend your money on that? Like, spend it on shoes, man. Spend it on, spend it on a mattress. <laughs> so how, this is part of the suit of armor. The shoes. The shoes are a part of the suit of armor. They're absolutely necessary. If you are not wearing these shoes, your feet are not protected. Imagine yourself in battle, and someone lunges a sword at you and cuts your foot off. You're, you're done. You're out of the battle. The shoes are so important. So how should we see this part of our armor? Our shoes are like the preparation of the gospel of peace. We stand on and in our shoes. And so there is no better thing to stand in than the gospel of peace. The word gospel means good news, right? And this good news is salvation through the cross and resurrection of Jesus so that we can have peace with God. And all of this remains true despite our circumstances. 
Let me just, let me see how this should look in your life. No matter what you're going through, the gospel of peace should bring you peace. Because your salvation is secure in what God did. So no matter what happens, no matter how you feel, you got those shoes on. (laughs) You are standing strong in the gospel of peace. If you're going to invest in anything, invest in this. If you don't, if you're not a theology person, you're not well read, at least get this part. The gospel that you are saved by grace, not of your own works so that any of us can boast, but by what he did on the cross and the grave is empty. This is the gospel of peace. Romans 10, 14 says, how then shall they call on him? in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings and good things. Isaiah 52, 7, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Missionaries in here, that's what you're doing. That's that's all a mission trip is, is proclaiming the gospel of peace. So when you find yourself in a terrible situation, which you will, you can say things like, Jesus is still Lord. I'm still his son. I'm still his daughter. And Paul the Apostle knows this all too well. Remember, he's writing Ephesians from prison. You remember that? So he knows this all too well. He's like, I'm in chains. (laughs) But Jesus is still Lord. He's still on the throne. I'm still his son. It's going to be all right. All right, let's keep moving. Verse 16. Above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. So this piece of the armor is so important. The shield of faith. And I think too often, we have the wrong idea of what faith is. So many of us see fake as some weak, pitiful emotion, right? Or, or like some gap filler. Like, I don't understand this about the Bible, so I just got to have faith. <laughs> That's not what faith is, right? I don't understand the Trinity, so I just need to have faith, okay? <clears throat> That's not faith. That's not faith. That's not faith at all. Faith is the evidence of things not yet seen and the substance of things hoped for. It is not some weak, pitiful emotion. It's not a gap filler for things that that we don't understand. That's called blind faith, and we reject that. Oswald Chambers said this, old, old dead guy. He said, faith is not some weak, pitiful emotion, but is a strong and vigorous confidence built on the fact that God is holy love. That's what faith is. Faith is founded in the person of God. Faith is founded upon his character and who he's proven himself to be. And it is that faith that protects us from the attacks of the enemy. Like, I have faith the sun is going to rise tomorrow, not because I can see the future, but because it's proven itself over and over and over again. So there, do you see the analogy there? Like, God has not let us down. He has proven himself over and over and over again. He has proven his word is true. So we have faith that he is who he says he is. And I have faith that I am who he says I am. That's what faith is. So we don't believe in some weak, pitiful emotion. 
We don't believe in blind faith. We don't believe in the faith of the gap filler. We believe in a strong confidence that God is who he says he is. And that will protect us from anything the devil can throw at us. The devil is going to try to convince you that God is not who he says he is. He's going to try to convince you that, that God has failed you, that he's forsaken you, that there's no hope for you. Those are called fiery darts, and they have no strength when you have the shield of faith. So to have victory in spiritual warfare is to be protected by the faith, of Je- faith in Jesus. All right, verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Why is salvation described as a helmet? A helmet protects one of the most important parts of your body. If your head gets stabbed by a spear, you're done. (laughs) You're done. (laughs) Unless you're Deadpool, I guess. (laughs) Your thoughts, your thoughts are contained in your brain. Your, Your ideas are birthed in your brain. And the salvation that Jesus has gifted you protects your mind. It protects your thought life. Guys, this is where so much of spiritual warfare takes place is in the mind. We start to have nightmares. We start to worry. We start to create scenarios that are ridiculous, but we convince ourselves that it might happen, and that's spiritual warfare. But we wear the helmet of salvation because our salvation makes us a son or daughter of God. Our salvation protects us. Our salvation makes us, adopts us into his family. And so it protects our minds, our thought life. And when you are saved, you begin to think about things differently. Like, like the, uh, CJ was just talking about this in our staff meeting. Like she's beginning to like, like really like understand that no unwholesome talk should come out of our mouths as Christians. She was sharing this in staff meeting because CJ's saved. She's God's daughter. So she's thinking about things differently than she used to. Like we start to think about all the things of the world differently. The things of this world don't hold us captive anymore, right? The things that used to entertain us are boring now because we have a real God, right? This is, this, is our, this is what salvation does to you. It changes your whole thought life. You start to see Jesus in every person, right? You start to see the intrinsic value of every person. That, that person that used to annoy you, you start to pray for them. Your parents that hurt you, you start to fight for them. This is what salvation does. This is why we wear salvation like a helmet. And the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. I want you to notice something, that this is the only part of the armor that is, off, that is on the offense. This is our attack weapon, the word of God. So many of us, I'm going to get real for a second, so many of us have forgotten this. Sometimes it's embarrassing to see how little we know of the word of God. We have got, guys, we've got to train ourselves in the word of God. Because this is our attack weapon. This is where we really start to fight. You know, Jesus put this into practice. Did you know that? Jesus put this into practice in Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. It says this. You put this up there. It says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. 
But he answered and said to them, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on a pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. By the way, the devil knows scripture. The devil quotes scripture. So I'm not impressed if you memorize it. I'm impressed if you live it. Verse 7, Jesus responded and said, It is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world of their glory and said to him, all these things I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. By the way, the first time I read that, here's a nugget. The first time I read that, I was like, Why, how can the devil offer the kingdoms of God? How did, he get, how did he get the kingdoms, right? He has the kingdoms and he's able to offer them. God sure didn't give it to, to him, right? He didn't take it by force. You know why he has the kingdoms? We gave them to him. We did. Did, did you watch the, the, uh, the Grammys? We gave, we gave our nation to the devil. That was our fault. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and only him shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. So see, see Jesus knew this. He knew this concept. The word of God was his weapon. So when the devil starts to lie to you and starts to convince you of ridiculous lies, you, you, you literally shove the word of God in his face. <laughs> But you're not going to be able to use it if you're not trained in it. Like, I hunt a lot, and, and I take guys shooting uh, guns a lot, and I'm terrified when they've never held a gun before. <laughs> right? I'm like, yo, hey, man, that was awesome, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> they're not trained in it. <laughs> right? They don't know what they're doing. Guys, can we know how to wield our swords? Can we not leave our houses unarmed? Can we start taking our Bibles with us? Right? It's okay if you have an e-Bible. That's fine. But can you at least know how to use it? Don't leave your house unarmed. Every morning when you wake up, you're training in your weapon by your Devo life. You're reading the Word of God and you're feeding on it. And you're like, I know this sword backwards and forwards. I can do things with this sword I never thought was possible because I train in it. Temptation is a real thing. And when the devil throws temptation your way, you're able to fight him off with the word of God, just like Jesus did. Oh, it's not going to hurt. It's not really adultery if you look at porn. So, someone just got stepped on. Right? That's not really cheating on your wife, right? Absolutely it is. <laughs> and you start to wield the word of God against temptation, and temptation becomes nothing to you. Can I tell you, as Christians, we should be able to overcome temptation. Temptation shouldn't have a hold on us. Now, it's not sinful to be tempted. Jesus was tempted. The sin is when you give in to it. And I believe that we can fight against it with the word of God. We need to know how to use the word of God. This is God's armor. Praise team, you guys can come back up. This is God's armor. God wore this in battle. And now he puts the same armor on you. Now, Caleb, 
I love Caleb. You guys love Caleb? In our staff meeting, this is what Caleb said. He goes, he goes, did you notice that there's no armor for your back? I was like, yeah. He goes, you shouldn't turn your back on the fight. You shouldn't turn your back on the fight. Because that's going to leave you defenseless. We don't run away from the fight. The fight's going to happen. But we have no worry. We have all the confidence in the world because we know that we wear the armor of God. We know how to wield every single part of that armor. When things start to happen in your life and you start to experience spiritual warfare, would you, would you take note of God's armor? Maybe you have to remind yourself of your salvation. Maybe you have to remind yourself that you cannot impress God by what you do for Him. It doesn't impress Him. Instead, He looks for His righteousness. Instead, He looks for His blood in your life. Are you cleansed by the blood of Jesus? This is what God is looking for. So Paul ends his letter this way. You can put this up there. Verse 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to, the, to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. After all this armor is put on in the morning, every single day, none of this applies to you unless you are a man or a woman of prayer. None of it applies to you. Prayer is literally our fellowship with the Father. Prayer is powerful. There is power in prayer. And you can put this up there. A a prayerless Christian is a powerless Christian. A prayerless Christian is a powerless Christian. If you are not a man or a woman of prayer, none of this armor is going to fit you. The only way that it will fit you is if you commit yourself to prayer. Paul describes himself as an ambassador in chains. Remember, because he's in prison when he's writing this. But that doesn't, that doesn't excuse him from praying. <laughs> he prays constantly. So as Christians, we need to be about our Father's business, and that is found in prayer. Just like when David went into battle and Saul's armor did not fit, God has given us his armor that does fit. But it only fits with the context of prayer. So how should we respond? (laughs) Yeah, that's right, Peck. Um, Some of you have been uh, seeing posts on Facebook and reading articles about this. You can put that picture up there. There is something happening in our nation right now. If you don't know what this is a picture of, this is at a Christian college, Asbury University in Kentucky. They uh, normally have chapel services uh, every Wednesday. So last Wednesday, last week, they had a chapel service, 
And after the service was over, they, a few of them lingered around, and they started repenting of their sins. Oh, Jesus. They started repenting of their sins. They started seeking the holiness of God. And they did not want to leave the presence of God. And as we sit in this room right now, this meeting is still going on. This picture was taken over a week ago. And if you Google it right now, it's still happening. It hasn't stopped. It's gone on for over a week now, for eight days. And men and women from across the country are flooding into this chapel because they have a hunger for God. They have, a, they have a conviction of their sins. And they are saddened by how they have hurt the heart of God by their sins. And they are repenting and they're crying out to God for our nation. Something that's so desperately needed right now. Now this, we, we call this revival. Because revival means that something was alive but has died and now it's coming back to life. We call this revival, and this is spilled over into the streets. There are During the Super Bowl, there were thousands of people at this meeting. They didn't care about the Super Bowl. They wanted the Lord. This is spilled over into Lee University in Tennessee, I've come to find out. And I believe, I believe this can happen here. I believe this doesn't need to be a Christian university for it to happen at. I believe that it can start with us. I believe that we can repent of our sins. I believe that we can have sorrow for how we've hurt the heart of God. I believe that we can desire godliness and holiness. And I believe that we can pray for our nation, for God to save our nation. There's some elements that need to be present. There needs to be a hunger for God. There needs to be a sorrow for your sin. There needs to be a repentance from that sin. And there needs to be a culture of honor and prayer. This is what God is looking for. It's a sovereign, revival is a sovereign thing from God. We can't force his hand, but he looks for these things. He looks for praying men and women and he baptizes them in, their whole, in his Holy Spirit. And revival breaks out. So let's all stand up. In my notes, I don't have anything written for response time because I want to give this time to the Lord. So I want to start with this. I want to start with this. If you are in this room and you have a sorrow for your sin and you have a desire for holiness, you have a desire for godliness, you have a desire to be with your Father, I want us to just begin to worship. I want us to begin to sense the presence of the Lord here. I want us to think about our salvation. I want us to think about our friends and our family members that don't know Jesus. I want us to think about the hell that we deserve. Oh, God. I want us to think about how much the Lord loves us. 
Oh God, we love you. We love you, Jesus. Lord, we desire to be in your presence, oh God. Lord, we desire to be changed by your presence, oh God. Lord, so many of us have declared year after year after year that you are the Lord of UNC. You are the Lord of Ames. God, you know each and every one of these students that walks this campus. You know them. You know their names. You know how many hairs are on their heads. You formed them in their mother's wombs. And God, you love them. And you died for them. And you took their sin upon your cross. And you bore that shame. So Jesus, I say, come take what is yours. Come take what is yours, Jesus. Let's just spend some time in the presence of the Lord. I have no agenda. We're just going to let the Lord direct this time. Amen. If you, um, if you have something you need to confess, grab your brother, grab your sister and confess it. If you have bitterness, anger, unforgiveness, even towards somebody not in this room, text them, call them. Let's get it right. If you want to worship the Lord, we're going to worship the Lord, but he's worthy. Amen. For more information, please visit XAUNC.com or find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash XAUNC. Our Instagram handle is at XAUNC, and you can find all of our content on our YouTube channel by searching for Chi Alpha UNC. Until next time, may the Lamb who was slain receive the reward of his suffering. Thank you.